Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. A couple of things uh, before we get into the message this morning. Um, the foundation of our building over there is, is poured. It's done. Yeah. Uh, Leif and I got to walk literally through the building without walls the other day begin to envision it. So things are progressing. We're right on schedule uh, to where we want to be. So that's exciting. We hope you'll drive by and see the progress that's being made over there. Secondly, because uh, even though I was back last Sunday and last Wednesday, I know many of you were gone uh, either out to the men's retreat, which I heard again was amazing this year. And I want to thank Woody and all of the, the men for making that possible, as well as the Johnstons for hosting it out there at Top of the World again. Um, but also many of you were, were just not able to be here last week. So I just want to say this week, I want to thank you for embracing my son and his teaching as much as you embrace me. Uh, and I'm just going to say this as, as, a, as a proud father and as an unobjective father who listened to those three messages on the image of God. And I told him this as well. I said, I've never heard a better explanation of the image of God anywhere in my life. So I just want to uh, say I appreciate you all embracing him. And I appreciate him filling in for me uh, while we were away. And then also one more. Uh, if you have not had the opportunity, you weren't there that Wednesday night, or you haven't had the opportunity to listen to Nicole's presentation on worship I would greatly, greatly, greatly encourage you to listen to that. Uh, she gave an excellent presentation on worship, why we think about worship the way we do at the Oasis, why we do worship. And I really think that, and I've encouraged her in, in this, that I think if more of you knew her heart and knew where she was coming from, you'd engage more in worship here at the Oasis. So I would encourage you to listen to that as well. All four messages, all three of Stephen's, and Nicole's messages while I was away are all out there on podcasts. I would encourage you to listen to those. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning, we're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit. And last week, we were talking about true spirituality. Because that's what Paul was sharing with the Corinthians. What is true spirituality? And I actually want to go back for just a moment and sort of recap last week, again, because many of you were not here last week, so you can sort of catch up. There were two main points to last week's message about what true spirituality looks like. True spirituality is living supernaturally through the Spirit. In other words, it is living beyond ourselves. It is living beyond what you and I could do on our own. So Paul says in the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that one of the ways that's manifested is you and I will do things that we could never do without the help or aid of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to the Corinthians. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, and this is all relevant to today's message, he says, I, I did not come with superior eloquence or wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. I decided to be concerned about nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Therefore, when I was with you in Corinth, I was with you in weakness. It means feebleness and frailty. I was with you in fear. I felt inadequate. And I was with you in much trembling, literally shaking. 
My conversation and my preaching were not with persuasive words of man's wisdom, but here it is, with a demonstration of the Spirit and of the Spirit's power. See, Paul says, that's true spirituality. Not living what we can do, not ministering in a way that, that we, what we can achieve on our own, but true spirituality is when we are connected to the Holy Spirit and we are living in a way supernaturally that the Holy Spirit is enabling us and empowering us to live. And, and Paul is saying that as a Christian, my everyday life and my ministry should not be a demonstration of what me as a mere human being can do and accomplish and achieve, but what the Holy Spirit can do through me and what His power can achieve. Then secondly, we saw last week in verses 6 through the rest of the chapter, verse 16, that not only is true spirituality doing things that I could never do on my own apart from the Holy Spirit, it is knowing things that I could never know apart from the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul says all these wonderful things uh, in verse 9, God has prepared for us, but they only come and they're only revealed and illuminated to us through, verse 10, the Holy Spirit. In fact, he says in the middle of verse 11, so too, no one knows the things of God except by means of the Spirit of God. Verse 12, now we've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God. The only way I can know God is through His Spirit. And I also spent much time, because I think it's very necessary in our day and age, that we distinguish between a knowledge of the Bible, which anyone can have, even unsaved people can have knowledge of the Bible and a knowledge of God. See, it doesn't take the Spirit to help me to have a knowledge of the Bible. And there are many people today, many even Christians, who flock from one small group to another, one Bible study to another, one church to another. And again, not that there's anything wrong with them in and of themselves, but the goal is just to be this spiritual sponge that continues to accumulate spiritual, biblical knowledge, if you will. So, that doesn't make a difference in our life. It is knowledge of God that makes a difference in our life and that transforms us and changes us and conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ. And the only way I get that knowledge, Paul says, is not by myself, but only through the help of the Holy Spirit. And so you and I, if we're going to truly be spiritual people, we've got to begin to engage with the Spirit every day and live supernaturally through Him, through His enablement and empowerment, so that we can do the things we could never do apart from Him and know the things we could never know apart from Him. Now, why all of that is important is because notice what Paul says now as he begins to address the Corinthians again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's talking here to Christians. Make no mistake about it. And this letter is addressed to a local church just like the Oasis. But notice what Paul says in the first couple verses of 1 Corinthians 3. So brothers and sisters, if there's any doubt, he's addressing his fellow believers. He says, I could not speak to you as spiritual people. Wow. But instead, as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, 
I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready. In fact, you are still not ready. For you are still influenced primarily by the flesh. Think about it. Paul says, I'm talking to Christians. You're my fellow believers. But I can't speak to you as spiritual people. Why? Because the Corinthians were not living in the power of the Spirit. Their lives were not demonstrating the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. They were living what they could do. Their lives were totally characterized by what any human being could do. In other words, Paul goes on to say, he says, uh, he says, look, there is still, or since there is still jealousy and dissension among you, you're not, you are uh, influenced by the flesh and you're behaving, Paul says in verse three, like unregenerate people. In other words, there's no difference between your life and one that doesn't even know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because what is the difference? Apart from the Spirit of God, what is the difference between our behavior if we're not living by the Spirit and the person who doesn't know God who doesn't have the Spirit? There is no difference. Paul's giving some sobering thoughts here. He's saying, can a Christian, can their life basically look like a person that doesn't even know God? Absolutely. If the Spirit is not allowing us and enabling us and empowering us to live supernaturally beyond ourselves, then what difference is our life compared to somebody that doesn't even know God? True spirituality. So here in this passage that we're going to look at today, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul, in a negative way, although I want to also look at it positively today, is basically saying to the Corinthians... You're not having the priorities of the Spirit. Because true spiritual people, they will be living the priorities that are prompted and promoted by the Spirit. And they will be living lives supernaturally through the Spirit. That's what a spiritual person is. And we throw the word spiritual around a lot today. But biblically speaking, a spiritual person, according to the Word of God, is only one who is living supernaturally through the Spirit. It is only one whose priorities of their life is prompted and promoted by the Spirit. And Paul's going to tell us, well, what are some of those priorities that were absent in the church in Corinth, but should be present in our lives today? The first one that I see here in the first couple verses of chapter 3 is our readiness. Our readiness. Let me go back and repeat these couple of verses, beginning in verse 1. So, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people. Instead, as people of the flesh, as infants, immature, childish in Christ. I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were, and here's three key words, not yet ready. In fact, Paul says, you are still not ready, the end of verse 2. For you are still primarily influenced by the flesh. Your primary influence of your life is earthly, not heavenly. It is natural. It is human, not spiritual. For since there is still jealousy and dissension among you, are you not influenced primarily by the flesh and behaving like unregenerate people? For whenever someone says, well, I'm in Paul's camp or I'm in Apollos' camp, 
Are you not merely human, acting like every other human being, even those that don't know God? Notice two times Paul says, you were not ready and you're still not ready. Because what Paul is reminding the Corinthian church is this. God always wants his people to be in a state of readiness. Why? Because it's through the spirit that we grow and make progress and move forward in our walk with God and get closer to God. And God always wants to give more of himself to us. He wants, he wants to illuminate and, and bring into our lives more of his truth, more of him, more of his will, more of his plan. But God cannot do that if we have not even digested or even started to chew up what he's already given us, which is sort of where the Corinthians were. They couldn't take in any more spiritual nourishment or food so that they could grow because they haven't even chewed up and digested what they've already been given. So they're not ready. And how tragic it is that in churches... And even in individual lives, we may be preventing, if you will, what God wants to do to give us more of him, to be able to experience more of him and engage on a higher level with him. But he can't do it. Why? Because we're not ready. Because we're not living every day supernaturally through the spirit, which is the only thing that's going to get us to the place where we're always ready to take in more of God. I think about that. That burdens me as a pastor of this church. And it should burden every pastor of every church and every member of every church. How sad would it be that God up there in heaven says, I want to give more of you, more of myself to you. But I can't because you're not ready for it yet. Because you're not living by the Spirit. You're not enabled and empowered by the Spirit every day so that you are in a state of readiness to be able to receive what I have for you. Because it's only through the Spirit that it's going to come. And how sad and tragic is it in our individual lives that God might want to do more in and through us. He might want to, again, uh, give more of Himself to us. But He can't. Why? Because we're not ready. You see, what the Spirit will do in our lives is get us to a place in our lives where we are ready to receive more of God. Now let me say this in a positive way. I believe that in God's mind that in some ways we are ready. In some ways. Because I think that's why God then finally opened up the timing of all this so that he could take us from Basha High School to our own church because he is going to sort of widen our, our footprint in the East Valley and, and there's, there's going to be a, a greater level of God, I think, coming in. And it shows that in some ways God says we are ready, but I don't think that means we're totally ready. I think there's still work that God wants to do, which is why these last months that we spend at Basha and the months leading and then even on into that opening of that facility, it's so important that you and I are making sure we're tracking with the Holy Spirit because even once we get there, 
we got to make sure that we are continually ready for God to pour more of himself into us and that we never get to the place like the church in Corinth where Paul says, God wants to give more of himself to you, but as his spokesman, as his minister working on his behalf for you, I can't do it. I'm not being led to do it because you're not ready for it yet. You're not ready to receive it yet. Now let me say this. Again, I think some of you, I commend you for your readiness. I, I see in many of you that readiness. You, you are in a place in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit where you're ready for more. You're like, God, okay, I've digested that. Now give me more. Give, give me more of you. And that's great. But we want everyone at this church to get to that place. How great would it be if every local church was filled with people that said, God, I want more of you all the time. I'm ready for more, God. I've chewed up what you've given me. I've digested it. Let's move on. But some people aren't in that place. And again, it's so tragic because it doesn't have to be that way. Because I don't have to, nor do you have to get ourselves in that place. It's by relying and depending on the Spirit to get us to that place. In a sense, it's just learning to walk in the Spirit and live by the Spirit and not try to do it on our own. Because no matter what kind of effort we put forth, if it's in our own power and strength, just like the Corinthians, we'll never be ready. No matter how much effort we put forth. But when we let God take over and let his spirit take over, then God gets us to a place where we are ready. And I pray that our church will always be ready for more of God. That we will never be satisfied where we're at. That we will never be complacent as to what we've achieved and how far we've gotten and how far we've grown and how far we've come. But that our heart always cries out for more of God. Because there's so much more God wants to show us. There's so much more about God that God wants us to engage with and experience. And we will miss out on so much if we are not ready. So the first thing that the Spirit does, according to Paul, that gets a priority here is our readiness. That should always be, and that will be. If you and I are living by the Spirit, the Spirit will always be prompting us to be ready and to be in that position of readiness, you see. So that's first. Second, our service. Our service. Begin with me looking at verse 5 of chapter 3. What is Apollos really? Or what is Paul but servants, humble servants of the king through whom you came to believe? And each of us in the ministry the Lord gave us. I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one that caused it to grow. So neither the one who plants counts for anything. It doesn't mean we are of no value. It means that on our own, apart from God, we could never achieve what's being achieved through the ministry of Paul. So the one who waters and the one who plants is not anything on their own, but it is God who's behind it all. It is God who causes the growth, Paul says in verse 7. Therefore, the one who plants and the one who waters... They are working as one in the same. 
and each will receive their reward according to their work. You see, in Corinth, what the problem was is there was not a lot of, because they weren't living by the Spirit, there wasn't a lot of selflessness and and service present. It was more selfishness and self-absorption and how things affect me and not truly living every day in the power of the Spirit, being a humble servant and focusing my life and your life on whatever ministry, whatever service, whatever task God has called us to do at that particular time. No, they were interested in, well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm following this guy in the church and I'm following this guy. And as he says, there was so much division and strife and dissension and all of this. And Paul says, all that is, is that's evidence of non-spiritual people. That, that's evidence of immature, childish Christians, is all that's evidence of. Paul says, because when the Spirit is building our priorities and prompting and promoting the priorities that we should have, the first priority will be readiness, and the second one here in it will be service. And that we won't be spending and need to spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about and looking at others and what they're doing and what they're not doing and all of that. And who gets the credit for this and who gets the credit for that? Because Paul says we should all be working as one anyway. And it should be God that gets the glory for it because he's the only one that can actually bring about the growth anyway. It's not us. Which is another thing here about service that should be very freeing to us that I've shared with you before. And that is when you and I just focus on being servants, humble servants of the Lord, and we focus our lives on what he's called us to do, then we also have to trust him for the results. You see, the Corinthians were like a lot of Christians and a lot of churches today. It was all about results-oriented. That's why it's always about nickels and noses. How much revenue do we have? How many bodies are in the seats? That's how they measure things. Do you ever notice the Bible never uses those two measurements for a local church as to how God views them? In fact, in in Jesus' message to the seven churches in Revelation, he never mentions revenue or how many people each church has. That's inconsequential because it has nothing to do with their spirituality. Nothing. And God is saying, am I not the one that actually brings about real growth? So if if you're doing what you should be doing, speaking to individuals and churches, and we're focused on what God has called us to do, then shouldn't we let the results to God? Because isn't he the one that's going to bring about the real growth? Not the growth that you and I as human beings can somehow manufacture on our own through our own methods and marketing and all these, you know, nice things that a lot of churches are into today and a lot of Christians are into today. What about what the spirit can do? Isn't that where real growth is and where real growth can be sustained? Not what you and I can do, not on our shoulders, but on what God ultimately is bringing about. That's why I've said before, if you were to take the world and even many churches and Christians' measurement of success, and you were to apply it to biblical ministries and biblical characters, most of them would be failures in our eyes. Think of Noah. 
Noah didn't get anybody else to get on the ark but his family. Failure. That's the way most people view it. How about, let, let's go to the ultimate. How about Jesus? Just thinking of his earthly ministry now. How did his ministry end on earth, those three glorious years? Well, he was nailed to a cross as a criminal, and everybody around him, for the most part, that used to follow him, took off and ran. If you were to just judge, again, sit in judgment of Jesus' earthly ministry, especially at the very end, most people, if they were honest, would say, yeah, you know what? If we applied the way we judge things worldly today, even in the church, to Jesus, we would say failure. Failure. But that's not the way God looks at things. And God says to a spiritual person, I want you to humbly serve me. Don't look out for yourself all the time. Look out for others. And as you serve me, leave the results to me because I'm the only one that can really bring about real results and real growth. One can plant one. And and don't worry about who gets the credit, like Paul said. Because the one who plants and the one who waters... Aren't we supposed to all be working towards the same thing anyway and for the glory of God rather than for our own glory? So Paul says, does it really matter then who individually gets the credit? And Paul's going to go on to say, look, if you're doing things the way God wants you, you to do them and you're serving the Lord, He'll make sure you get rewarded one day, whether it's here on earth or in eternity. God will make sure that, you know... He keeps immaculate records. He doesn't miss anything. God will reward you. Just be a humble servant. Just do faithfully every day what God is asking you to do. That's the priority of a spiritual person. But that wasn't taking place in Corinth. No, they were more worried about the other guy and what they were doing and what they weren't doing. There was a lot of slander. There was a lot of gossip. There was a lot of dissension and strife. All characteristics and attitudes of immature, childish believers, but not true spiritual people. Paul says, because true spiritual people will live their life in readiness and they will live as humble servants. Now again, let me say this. I want to commend again many of you in this church because the reason we are in the position that we are The reason we are the body of believers and the community of believers we are is because so many of you simply live your lives each day, each week, each month, each year as just humble servants of God. Your concern is not who gets the credit. Your your concern is not what are they doing and what they're not doing. Your concern is you focus because you realize that's a full-time job just like you know, offer all of us. It's a full-time job, just me doing what I know God wants me to do and to do it at the level of excellence God wants me to do it. That's enough for me to take care of. So I'm just going to focus on that. And God, I'm just going to serve you. And as I serve you, I'm going to serve others. And I'm going to look out for them rather than always looking out for myself. And many of you live very selflessly. In fact, I was just reminded of that again today, even on Sunday. How many of you it takes to do what we do out there in the lobby every Sunday? How many of you it takes to do what we do in here? Those of you that come early for sound and lighting and the video. Those that come here early so that we can have worship. 
those of you that do the tables out there and, and bring all the, the wonderful food that we can partake of and the drink and all of that. And week in and week out, this goes on on Sundays and Wednesdays. And all those people over there this morning that are over there in the children's ministry so that our children can learn about God and grow in their relationship. So many helpers, so many teachers, so many people over there just humbly serving. Thank you. Thank you. That is the sign of true spiritual people. That is the sign and characteristic of those who are living supernaturally through the Spirit. Those whose priorities of life are prompted and promoted by the Spirit. There will be a readiness and there will be a heart of service. Third, look at verse 9. Paul says, we, plural, are co-workers, companions, partners, belonging to God. You, plural, talking to the church at Corinth, are God's cultivated field. You are God's building, a suitable dwelling place where God can sort of settle down and be at home. Then if you come down to verse 16 and 17, all this is speaking plurally here. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking corporately. Yes, later on in, in Corinthians, he will tell each individual believer that our physical body is the temple of God. But that's not what he's saying here. Now he's speaking to the community of believers, to the entire local church at Corinth. And this is what he is saying in verse 16. Do you, plural, not know? Are you not aware that you are, plural, Corporately, community-wise, God's temple, where God meets and manifests himself with his people. And that God's spirit lives in you. If someone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, sacred to God, which is what you are. The third priority of a spiritual person is our responsibility to our local church, to our fellow believers. That's what Paul's saying here. You cannot study these verses we've just read and do it faithfully and not come away with the fact that one of the things Paul is saying to the church at Corinth is the church that you are a part of in Corinth, just like the church that we are a part of here in Chandler Gilbert, should be a priority of our lives because we are part of something bigger than ourselves, just like every believer, and that we don't just have a responsibility to ourselves and for ourselves. We are responsible to live a certain way, to serve a certain way, to be ready a certain way, because it is going to also affect all of our other brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not islands. We are not isolated from one another. And so if we come together and we say, this is my local church, this is, this is where I'm a part of God's temple, God's dwelling place, then we have to realize that we have a responsibility toward each other. 
Which is why it's, again, so tragic in our day and age that there are many Christians that feel like, I don't need to make the local church a priority. In fact, I can do church without doing church. The church for me can be a Bible study in a home. The church for me can, can be a small group. The church for me can be this house church movement where we don't really have a recognized pastor who's called by God to shepherd us, even though that's biblical, that we can sort of figure this out all on our own as just a small little band of believers. And yet that's not what God says the church is. And God takes the church very seriously. He values it very highly. What did Jesus say? I will build whose church? My church, Jesus says. Jesus says the church should be of great weight and value to all of you. And that you should understand your responsibility as true spiritual people because it's my church. And if you negatively affect my church, I've got a bone to pick with you, Jesus says. Which is why Paul's calling out the Corinthians where there was so much fighting and dissension and jealousy and slander and gossip. How can we destroy the church that God will take up with us, even as Christians? Well, we can destroy the church through those things I just mentioned. By being divisive, by our slander, by our gossip. We can destroy the church by bad theology and bad methodology. We can destroy the church by being indifferent to the church. And by not being involved in the church. Because what Paul is trying to get the Corinthians and all of us to see is, my Christian life and the way I live it as part of this body or any body is going to either positively or negatively affect everyone else in that body. We're not our own, Paul says. We are all part of God's building. And God calls us to be part of a corporate community of believers So that we can, as we are ready and grow and mature in all of these things and serve, that other people will be encouraged and refreshed and blessed and comforted and all these things because we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. And we realize every day that we are responsible, not just for us, but we are responsible for others as well. Let me ask you, If your pastor got in a really bad place spiritually, if I did not keep up with my spiritual life, would it not negatively affect you? It sure would. Which is one of the motivations of why Jeff Royce has to make sure that I maintain my spiritual walk with God because I realize it's not just about me. If I get in a bad place spiritually, it's not just going to affect me, it's going to affect you too. And God is saying to all of us, don't you realize that? Don't you realize you're responsible toward one another? Which is why then we should commit to making sure that that we continue to grow and serve and do the things that we can do to be part of the body because we're responsible for one another. And I really believe that one day, and we're going to get to this in just a minute, When we stand and give an account of our life to God, 
I think one of the things he's going to ask is, what did you do with my church? That was my church. Did you value it? Did you put any weight on it? Was it a priority to you? Because you all were my building. You all were my habitation in the spirit. I wanted you all to come together and, and help one another and support one another. And let me say this. I again want to commend and thank many, many of you. Because you, you get it. That's why you live the way you do. That's why you're faithful. That's why you serve. Because you, you realize it's not just about me. I'm responsible to my brothers and sisters in Christ. That the way my life goes is, is the way their life is going to go. And that if I'm not involved at all, is that not also saying something huge? I'll just be straight up with you. I'm, I'm just going to be real raw with you. Any Christian who's not involved at all at their local church is basically saying to their brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't value you at all. Because if, if they valued others, then they would be involved. They would be committed. Because they would realize that my life can positively affect my brothers and sisters in Christ. And God holds me responsible for that. And how does that responsibility face me every day? When you and I are spiritual people living under the power of the Spirit, the Spirit will remind us of that all the time. Jeff, it's not just about you, so watch that decision. Watch that choice you make. Watch what you do here. Do this, Jeff. Keep yourself in that place. Because, Jeff, it's never just about you. It's about how your life is going to impact and influence others all around you, positively or negatively. And finally, the priority of a spiritual person is going to be our accountability to God. Notice what Paul says, beginning in verse 10. He says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, which I think is sort of cool since our church is going up. Paul says, I'm comparing myself and any Christian to a, to a wise craftsman who laid a foundation for the building. Someone else builds on it. Each one must be careful how he builds, by what means he builds. For no one can lay any suitable, sustainable, stable foundation other than what is being laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the only real foundation. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each builder's work will be plainly seen. It will be made clear. It will be apparent. For the day will make it clear and evident. Because it will be revealed by the fire of God. And the fire of God is going to put to the test what kind of work, what quality of work each human being, each Christian, I should say, has done. If what someone has built survives, it stands at last the fire of God, he will receive a reward. If someone's work is burned up, consumed, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, I could have preached the entire message just on this passage. There's so much more here, but I want to land with this point. One of the things that Paul's saying in this passage is, 
that you and I must be aware always that our lives are building something. We're, we're building something with our earthly life. And Paul says, as a Christian, you realize that one day you're going to have to give an account of your life to God. We're not, we're not judged for our salvation. We are giving an account of our life to God as far as what we built with our life. What we accomplished with our life while we were on earth. It has nothing to do with our salvation, whether we get into heaven or not. Because Paul even says, worst case scenario, everything could be burned up. But that person will still enter heaven, but have nothing to show for it. Think about it. Paul is saying that there are some Christians that will live their whole life and not a thing that they lived for on earth counted for eternity. Not a thing mattered for eternity. Everything they lived for was earthly, temporal, material, physical. They had nothing to show for their life. Nothing to show that Jesus was their Savior. Nothing to show that the Spirit of God lived within them every day. And their life was totally burned up in the fire of God. Because God is literally going to put to the test every one of our lives. And Paul says, only what passes the fire of God will go on into eternity. And so Paul mentions the day. Did you see that there? The day. That's the day we give an account of our life to God. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you've lost sight of that day by the way you're living. You are living very short-sighted, near-sighted, and not far-sighted. Because a person who's under the control of the Holy Spirit, who's living by the priorities of the Holy Spirit, will be far-sighted people. Not that we lose track of what's right in front of us, but that we always remember the day. We always remember that there's a day you and I will stand before God and give an account of our earthly life to God and know that our life is going to be put to the test by God's fire. And every Everything that does not go through that fire is going to be burned up and count for nothing in eternity. And only what you and I have done for the glory of Jesus Christ and done for eternity is going to pass through that fire. And Paul says, sadly, there were so many at Corinth that were living for the here and now, but they weren't keeping eternity in mind. And Paul says, no, no, no. When the Spirit of God is in control in your life and you're living supernaturally through the Spirit, you will live every day for eternity. You'll live every day with eternity in mind. You'll live every day with the day in mind that one day, one day, we give an account. Let me again say and commend and thank many of you here. You get it. The reason... You're a part of a church like this. The reason you live the way you do and serve the way you do and give the way you do and minister the way you do and, ser- and, and selflessly live your life the way that you do is because you want your life to count for eternity. You want your life to make a difference. You want to be part of a church that truly makes an impact and influences this world for Jesus Christ. You want your resources and your gifts and your talents and your abilities to be used by God to bless others and to make a difference in eternity. 
thank you. Because Paul's also encouraging here. I know it doesn't seem like it, but Paul is saying you realize that if you live that way, it's all going to pass through the fire. That's why Jesus said, lay up treasure in heaven. And I don't have time to get into it today, but this and other passages of scriptures teach us that the role and responsibility and, and assignment, if you will, and, and the apportion that God is going to give us one day is going to be based on what passed through the fire. So many Christians are so caught up in their earthly lives in the here and now, they forget to live every year, every month, every week, every day for eternity. And then they're going to wonder one day when they get to the day, why did all my stuff burn up? Because the only way you and I really keep tracking for eternity is by being spiritual people. By allowing the Spirit to keep us on track. And instead of getting caught up in earthly things, our life is caught up in eternal things. Things that will pass the fire of God. Let's stand. God, even the songs that we have sung today have declared over and over again who you are, how great you are, how amazing you are. And even this last song declares you are the highest and the greatest. <laughs> we say the words, we sing the songs, but do we really believe it? Because Lord, if, if it was true, what we're singing about and what we're saying about you is true, then wouldn't you be the number one priority of my life? Wouldn't it be adopting what are priorities of yours into my life? And that's what being a spiritual person is. It is living the priorities that are prompted and promoted by the Spirit of God. And Paul's given us four today. Our readiness, our service, our responsibility, and our accountability. And Paul says, truly spiritual people will always keep those things in mind through the enablement and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. God, you call us to be a people of faith. And a people of faith is a people who respond to you when you speak to us. And God, I don't know exactly how that looks for each of us. But I pray today that before we sing the words of this last song, and we declare these things about you and to you, that God, we would respond to you in some way. And especially at the heart level. That God, you would do a work in your people's hearts today. And God, I pray specifically for us as the Oasis Church that the burden I have as the pastor of this church is that we would always be a church that's ready for more of you. And God, I believe you have given me insight that you want to pour out more of yourself into this church. 
So God, I pray that we would maintain our readiness so that we could receive more of you. God, use this message, use these songs, use this time together to make a difference for eternity today. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.